Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Trump will accept the election results, and when I defeat him, I will become the President of the United States. Okay? Welcome to Deconstructed. I'm Mehdi Hassan. On the show today, might we see a Bernie Sanders-Elizabeth Warren joint ticket come November 2020? If I am fortunate enough to become president, I would look absolutely to Elizabeth Warren as somebody who would play a very, very important role in everything that we're doing. That's my guest, Senator Bernie Sanders of Vermont, who is, of course, running for the Democratic presidential nomination for a second time. But is Bernie both fit enough and popular enough to win the nomination this time round? And perhaps more importantly, does he have what it takes to defeat Donald Trump next November? Team Biden and Team Warren are taking shape. I think I'm going to watch Elizabeth Warren and Mayor Pete. Joe Biden and Elizabeth Warren. Warren and Mayor Pete Buttigieg. Biden and Warren both rising. Let's focus on Buttigieg and Biden. You, you got a clear top five candidates here right. Right, with Biden, Warren. Tell me who, I, to, who I'm missing. Judging from the news coverage on network news, cable news, on the front pages of the main newspapers, you might think there were only three people in the running for the Democratic presidential nomination right now. Former Vice President Joe Biden, Senator Elizabeth Warren and Mayor Pete Buttigieg. There is, of course, though, another pretty major candidate who consistently comes second or third in the polls nationally and has even led in some of the early voting states. He's also the same guy who came second in the Democratic presidential primaries in 2016, winning 13 million votes in 22 states and becoming a household name in the process. I'm talking, of course, about Senator Bernie Sanders of Vermont. And look, I get it. So far, he isn't doing as well as he did last time round. And there are real questions about his age, his health, whether he still has the same novelty, energy, grassroots support that he had three years ago. Plus, the corporate media doesn't have great affection for or affinity with a self-declared socialist. I get that. That's no surprise to me. But still, I have to say, I've been bemused, if not shocked, at the way in which media organisations and journalists seem to have bent over backwards in recent weeks to avoid informing their viewers or their readers that Bernie Sanders is not just a very serious and credible candidate for the Democratic presidential nomination, but that he's actually doing much better in the polls than they might have us believe. I mean, he's leading in New Hampshire, which he also won last time round. That hasn't had much coverage. He's in second place in the latest New York Times Iowa poll, just three points behind Warren, but that hasn't really made any headlines either. A recent deep dive into polling by Siena College in the six key battleground swing states by the New York Times this week was headlined one year from election, Trump trails Biden but leads Warren in battlegrounds. Who's mentioned there? Trump, Biden, Warren. And what's the narrative? Trump does better against Warren, worse against Biden. But no mention of Sanders, even though Siena College included him in their head-to-head polling against the president in those six states. And guess what? While Biden, yes, beats Trump in four of those states, Sanders beats Trump in three of them. And guess which three? The big three. Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania. 
Don't you think that should be news? Don't you think that should have been a subject of conversation among reporters, pundits, democratic strategists, and yes, headline writers too? In fact, my favourite headline of the past week comes not from a news organisation, but from where else? The Onion. Its headline read, MSNBC poll finds support for Bernie Sanders has plummeted two points up. Two points up, which I thought was typically brilliant, hilarious and scathing all at the same time. Look, if Sanders does win the nomination next year or even comes a close second, a lot of readers of newspapers and viewers of cable news are going to be thoroughly confused and are then going to start asking why the media failed them, failed all of us again. And look, I know, I know his heart attack made a lot of people assume his candidacy was over. But here's the irony. He's come back from that heart attack better, stronger, more energetic than ever before, as even his critics acknowledged after the last Democratic presidential debate in Ohio last month. Bernie Sanders will have, I think, upped his uh, poll numbers a little bit because he had a good night. Just listen to Sanders at that debate. Joe, you talked about working with Republicans and getting things done. But you know what you also got done? And I say this as a good friend. You got the disastrous war in Iraq done. You got a bankruptcy bill, which is hurting middle class families all over this country. You got trade agreements like NAFTA and PNTR with China done, which have cost us four million jobs. Some might say that the two stents that doctors put inside of him were more like rocket launchers. Here he is at his Queen's rally with AOC just a few days after that last debate and issuing a progressive call to arms like nothing I've heard from any other American politician in recent years. I want you all to take a look around and find someone you don't know. Maybe somebody who doesn't look kind of like you. Maybe somebody who might be of a different religion than you. Maybe they come from a different country. My question now to you is, are you willing to fight for that person who you don't even know as much as you're willing to fight for yourself. So what's the deal with Bernie Sanders? Can the socialist senator from Vermont pull off the revolution he's promised this time round? Or has Senator Elizabeth Warren stolen some of his progressive thunder? And supporters too. Is Sanders the guy who can beat Warren and Biden and then Trump too? And how about that undeniable health issue of his? Can a 78-year-old who just had a heart attack really be considered a viable candidate for the highest office in the land? Who better to address these questions than the man himself? Joining me from his campaign headquarters in Burlington, Vermont, Senator Bernie Sanders. Senator Sanders, thanks for joining me on Deconstructed. My pleasure. Uh, good to have you back on the show. You're doing very well in the polls right now. You're leading in New Hampshire. I think you're second in Iowa. You're beating Trump in the key Rust Belt states in Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania. And yet the press, the media, they often forget to mention your name when they're covering uh, these polls. It, they kind of airbrush the fact that you're doing so well. Is it that shocking? Look, <laughs> I mean, you know. Why do you think that is? No, seriously, well, why do you think that is? I'll, for two reasons. Number one, we are taking on the entire establishment. And it is no secret that I am not not much loved by the corporate establishment or the corporate media. That's one factor. Uh, we are a threat to them, and they are nervous that we are going to put together the kind of grassroots working class movement yes. that we need not only to defeat Trump, but to transform the country. And I'll tell you what the, the second reason is. You know, you're a lot of the media folks who are, you know, 
They're hardworking, they're nice, they're honest people. Uh, They are not, quote-unquote, enemies of the people as Trump defines them. But they live in a certain world, an upper-middle-class world where they talk to each other. They don't know many working-class people who are supporting Bernie Sanders. They don't know many young people who are supporting Bernie Mm, Sanders. Good point. And they talk to each other and they say, I can't believe it. How does Sanders, we have not talked to anybody who supports Sanders. How come he's doing so well in the polls? I think those are the two factors that we have. And you've attracted these big crowds of young people, of working people at your rallies, especially with squad members who've endorsed you with Ilhan Omar in Minnesota recently, with Rashida Tlaib in Michigan, and of course with AOC in Queens in New York. You're going to be back with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez in Iowa this coming weekend at a climate crisis summit, I believe. With Governor Jay Inslee out of the race, do you see yourself now, are you positioned yourself as the climate candidate? Well, first of all, we're doing three events in Iowa with the congresswoman. Two of them will be general rallies focusing on climate change. One will be a a conference, including Naomi Klein, just to focus on the crisis of climate change. Look, the truth is we have introduced by far the most comprehensive climate change proposal ever introduced, I believe, by any candidate running for federal office. And as you know, I have been criticized uh, because of the expense involved. This is a $16 trillion proposal is very expensive. But my argument is when you're fighting to save the planet, what is the alternative? How much is the future of this planet worth? So we are proud to be building on the Green New Deal. We'll create up to 20 million new jobs. We will take on the irresponsibility and the greed of the fossil fuel industry. We will move as fast as humanly possible away from fossil fuel to energy efficiency and sustainable energy and lead the world in doing that. Is there anything you can do to make sure that at the next debate uh, in Atlanta, they actually ask a question about climate change? There was not a single question on climate change at the last debate in Ohio. They had three hours and it didn't come up once. You're right. I tried to push it. I do try to push it forward. But you're right. Uh, Look, there are so many terribly important issues that this country faces, whether it's healthcare or education or criminal justice, immigration, whatever it may be. But I don't know how you not talk about whether or not (laughs) the planet we're leaving to our kids and our grandchildren will be a healthy and habitable planet. I don't know how you not talk about that. One of the issues that moderators have obsessed over in those debates is how are you and Senator Elizabeth Warren going to pay for Medicare for all? Unlike you, she's unveiled a very detailed, lengthy, specific plan for how she wants to pay for it. She says she'll target employers as part of it. You told ABC News uh, last weekend that her proposal isn't as progressive as you'd like it to be and would even hurt jobs by hurting businesses. A lot of Warren supporters have said that your argument, Senator, is the kind of argument that Republicans have used for years to say any tax on employers will cost jobs. How do you respond to them? Well, let me respond in several ways. First of all, right now, we are spending twice as much per capita on healthcare as do the people of any other country, while 87 million are uninsured and some 500,000 people go bankrupt every year because of medical bills that they can't pay. Number two, I appreciate very much that Senator Warren is a strong supporter of Medicare for All, and it's supporting the legislation that I introduced, which is the only way that we're going to provide quality health care to all people in a cost-effective way. Yes. So there are differences in terms of how you fund it. Now, for the last several years, we have put out options. You say, you can do this, you can do that. Uh, One of the aspects of our plan 
is a 4% income tax exempting the first $29,000 of income. So if you are the typical American family and making $60,000, you would pay a 4% income tax on $31,000, which is about $1,200 a year, yes. which by the way is much, much, much lower than that, what that family is paying right now. Agree. We also have put a payroll tax on employers, and I think the number is 7.5% or maybe 10%. But, but what about the specific criticism of you from the Warren team that you sound like a Republican saying that a tax on employers no, 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 will, no, no. will hurt Look, jobs? I just, no, no. What I'm saying is, you tell me, the two concerns here, when you have a payroll tax, it will impact more significantly upper income companies where lawyers are making 100000 or a million dollars a year. When you're putting what amounts to a $9,500 head tax on a company that is hiring workers for forty dollars or $50,000, that's quite a hit. That's quite a hit. Yeah. So my point is, look, I was asked this question by ABC, and that's the answer I get, and I, and I think it's, it's the right answer. Okay. Senator Warren is trying to figure out a way to fund this. I am trying to figure out a way to fund it. Most importantly, what we both understand— that Medicare for All will save the average American substantial sums of money in their health care costs. And, and, and you both agree on that. But isn't the only winner of a spat between you and Elizabeth Warren over funding Medicare for All, isn't the only winner of that Joe Biden? Well, what Joe has got to tell the American people, by the way, is how his plan is going to impact ordinary Americans. Right now, you have families that are paying 15 20% of their limited incomes on health care. You have families that have outrageous deductibles and co-payments. People don't go to the doctor when they should. Yeah. You have health care costs soaring all over this country, drug companies making huge profits. Biden has got to explain to the American people how his plan impacts those folks. In the, in the last debate, you actually did challenge Joe Biden. I know he's a friend of yours, an old colleague of yours in the Senate. You challenged him over, rightly in my view, over his support for the Iraq war, over his support for big finance, over his support for NAFTA. Watching that exchange, it reminded me of your very similar critique of Hillary Clinton in 2016. Do you feel, when you're debating Biden, that he's basically Hillary Mark II, that you can criticize him in the same way you criticize Hillary Clinton in 2016? Well, you know, Hillary Clinton notwithstanding, this is the fact. Joe Biden not only voted for the war in Iraq, something that I vigorously opposed, uh, he was one of the leaders uh, in terms of going to war. He was one of the leaders on this disastrous bankruptcy bill. Uh, he voted for these terrible trade agreements, NAFTA, PNTR with China, which cost us millions of good paying jobs. Joe was on the floor of the Senate talking about the need to cut back on Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid. So, you know, I, I think what you're seeing is somebody who raises a whole lot of money from the wealthy and the powerful, somebody who touts in many ways the corporate line. And, you know, I think we will very clearly distinguish our record and our vision from uh, Joe Biden's. Um for those of us who are on the left and are not fans of Joe Biden, is there a danger? Is it, because a lot of us worry that there's a danger that you and Elizabeth Warren, both being in the race and doing so well, splits the progressive vote, splits the left, and helps a Joe Biden or even a Pete Buttigieg come through the middle and win the nomination. Isn't that a real danger? I don't think so. I mean, you have a process which, as crazy as it may seem, actually makes some sense. And that is the primary process. And what it is 
Is the goal here, obviously, is to defeat and defeat badly Donald Trump, the most dangerous president in modern American history. And ultimately, you know, you can argue about who the best candidate is and I can argue about it, but you know, it's going to be the people who make that decision. So Senator Warren and I are going out. She's making her case. I am making my case for a variety of reasons. I do believe I am the strongest candidate Mm. to defeat Trump. The people will decide. She'll get delegates. I will get delegates, and we'll see what happens as this process goes down the line. But you're competing for similar delegates, is my point. You're not competing necessarily for exactly the same people as Amy Klobuchar or Pete Buttigieg. Right. That's right. But I think we're also competing for some different constituencies as well. Okay. And and in the past, you've suggested that, and I'm quoting you from Twitter, that the, the corporate wing of the Democratic Party is anybody but Bernie. Yes. You've said that you're the real threat to the billionaire class. I just want to check then. Are you saying that Elizabeth Warren is not a threat to the billionaire class or to the try, corporate don't wing? Don't try to... Cre- no. Elizabeth Warren is a friend of mine. Yeah. And what we're trying to, to do the billionaire is... Run- Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One second, one second, one second. What I said is that, quote, paraphrasing, uh, the corporate wing led by a group called Third Way said that Bernie Sanders is, quote, an existential threat to the Democratic Party. And- I agree with them. Uh, we are moving this party in a very significant way away from their dependency on corporate money, on billionaire money, to the needs and the support of working people in this country. I am very proud, by the way, Maddie, that we have received more individual contributions from more people than any candidate in the history of American politics at this point in a presidential no, election. No, I, I understand that, and, and, and that's a major achievement. I'm just wondering, if I were to ask you which candidates in the race should billionaires be afraid of, clearly you would say yourself, and I think everyone would agree yes. on that. Clearly we wouldn't say Joe Biden. Yes. I'm just wondering, is Elizabeth Warren someone you would say that billionaires should be afraid of? Yeah, I think they should be as well. But I think, given my record and what we are trying to do in this campaign, is we are trying to uniquely... And in an unprecedented way in modern American history, it's not just win this election, which obviously we're trying to do. We are simultaneously trying to build an unprecedented grassroots movement of millions of working people, black and white and Latino, Native American and Asian American, around an agenda that works for all of us and not just the 1%. So we are building a movement because at the end of the day, understood. You know, we can't bring about real change without that movement. And you said Elizabeth Warren is a friend of yours. You say you have similar approach on Medicare for All. Would a presidential candidate, Bernie Sanders, be open to Elizabeth Warren as his running mate? 
Elizabeth Warren is somebody that I have worked with for many, many years, worked with her before she was a United States senator. So obviously, if I am fortunate enough to become the Democratic nominee and president of the United States, I would look absolutely uh, to Elizabeth Warren as somebody who would play a very, very important role in everything that we're doing. And other candidates have talked about the need to balance a ticket. You know, we live in this age of quote-unquote identity politics, especially with Trump's racism, Trump's misogyny, that the Democrats should take a stand. Are you okay with an all-male or an all-white ticket in 2020 for the Democrats? It's too early to talk about it, but I do believe, let me just repeat what I've said many times, is my administration and my cabinet will look like America. It will be the most diverse administration and the most diverse cabinet this country has ever seen. We are proud of our diversity. I am the son, proud son of an immigrant. And I think when people look at our cabinet and our administration, they will say, hey, that's what America looks like. I'm sure they will. I have absolute faith that your administration and cabinet will. But I asked about the ticket. And the reason I asked about the ticket is Cornell West, who came on this show in March and endorsed your presidential bid in that interview. He said to me, and I quote, When Bernie Sanders wins the presidency, you can rest be assured it's not going to be with another vanilla brother. Is he right about that? Well, look, look, Cornell is, I love Cornell. He is doing a great job as a longtime friend of mine. But we will make a decision about the vice presidency at the appropriate time. It's a little bit early to do that now. But you wouldn't rule out, all I'm saying is you wouldn't rule out an all-white or an all-male ticket. You're not Uh, saying there has to be any conditions. Look, 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 we have months to go. We will take a look at the best potential candidates who are out there. We're not ruling out anything right now. That's what I was just checking. Strongest and best. But this is what I will say, which is most important. Trust me that my vice presidential candidate will be a strong progressive. Uh, Just before we finish, Jimmy Carter said recently that he didn't think, he doesn't think he could have done the job of president aged 80. You've obviously had a heart attack. You've come back very strong, very energetic, but people look at you, a lot of people who who love you, admire you, support you, and they say, 79 years old when elected, 87 years old if you serve two full terms. What do you say to Jimmy Carter and, and your admirers who say, are you up to the job at this age and with this health? Well, first of all, I am a big fan of Jimmy Carter. He's a friend and somebody I have enormous admiration and respect for. I would not be running for office right now if I did not believe, A, that I was the strongest candidate to defeat Trump, and B, that I was not healthy enough and strong enough to be the kind of president this country desperately needs. For eight years, not four, for eight. Well, that's like, Maddie, that's... <laughs> No, let me let me win first before we're talking about <laughs> all right, re-election. Well, I'll talk to you about re-election in, in, in a year or two. How's that? All right, I'll hold right you now to that. We're focusing one last on, question. On this. All right. I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll hold you to that, definitely, Senator. Okay. One last question before I let you go. Let's say in November you beat Donald Trump. You win the popular vote. You win the Electoral College. It's clear. It's decisive. And he says, no, I don't accept the result. It's fake news. It was the deep state. It was a coup. It was illegal immigrants voting for the Democrats. I, I he refuses think, I to look, accept look, the look, result. I, 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 what, what, what do you do the, in that scenario? Hold on, hold on. I share the paranoia of many people. Trump is a pathological liar and a very dangerous person. Trump will accept the election results. And when I defeat him, I will become the president of the United States. Okay. I hope you're, I hope you're right about that. Thank you so much, okay. Senator Sanders, for taking time out of the campaign and coming on Deconstructed. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That was Democratic presidential candidate 
Senator Bernie Sanders speaking to me from his campaign office in Vermont. Uh, I'm joined now here in the studio in Washington, D.C. by the Intercept's D.C. bureau chief, Ryan Grimm. Ryan, welcome back to the show. Always good to be here. Um, Bernie Sanders uh, dealing with the health, the age question that I had to throw him at the end. It's uh, kind of always the elephant in the room, always has been now post a heart attack, uh, even more so. Um, It was interesting that he kind of joked there about, you know, I'll come back in four years and talk to you about a second term. But normally when you vote for a president, you're assuming if you're a supporter of that person, they're going to serve two terms, eight years. Eight years would make Bernie Sanders 87 years old when he left office. He did seem to be leaving open the possibility that he would serve one term. And well, I mean, he, he explicitly said, I will serve one term and then I'll figure out a second term later. Whereas the standard answer for that is, no, I'm, I'm in it for two terms. That's, yeah. you know, no, no president, modern presidential candidate wants to, wants to cut themselves short. <laughs> Though pundits are always looking for somebody. Uh, to say that. I, I wrote a piece last year saying maybe he should be the one-term guy. And I got attacked by supporters of Bernie Sanders saying I'm ageist. And yet Jimmy Carter himself, as I pointed out to the Senate, said he doesn't think he could have done the job at the age of 80. Now, I'm clearly in the presence of a great pundit. But, it, you know, because th- there's an idea, and I think there's probably a little bit of merit to it, that that some set of voters would see as statesmanlike, you know, a, a commitment that you're in it for the American people for four to years. kick off the revolution. You're going to bring about the revolution. Um, you're going to give it everything you've got. And, that, and you're going to put in place people who are going to carry forward the revolution for you. So let me jump in there and say what was also interesting in that interview was Elizabeth Warren's name was mentioned, obviously, by me and by the senator. I asked him, would he be open to having a Warren on a presidential ticket? It's part of the, I know it's part of the parlor games of D.C., but actually... Even when I talk to friends of mine who are not political and this comes up, there's actually a lot of interest amongst the public at large who a vice presidential candidate would be, who would be on the Mm -hmm. ticket with that person. And I know people don't like talking about it. It's too soon. But if you're someone who's torn between a Bernie and a Warren, if you're a progressive, you kind of like the idea of, okay, whoever gets on the top of the ticket, I hope the other person's on the bottom of it. You do. And it's always fraught to talk about it from a gender relations standpoint uh, if, if you're talking about a woman as the vice president. And, and, and Joe Biden stepped on a rake that hit him right in the face yes. at the beginning of his campaign when he suggested Stacey Abrams would yep. make a wonderful VP. And apparently Biden yeah. did this in 2016, too. He reached out to Elizabeth Warren about when he was thinking about jumping in the race to challenge Hillary Clinton. He wanted Warren as his running mate then too, so right, he's got yeah. form. Right, so, and, and it fits uh, you know, his, his, his view of the world. <laughs> all, all of that aside, uh, I think you're right. And more to the point, somebody like Sanders, and also Warren in a way too, but somebody like Sanders doesn't trust uh, very many national politicians. Indeed. You might be able to Indeed. count all of them on that's so One true. Finger. <laughs> That's so true. So if he's doing the kind of vice presidential search, which candidates right. do, there's a short. It's a short, short list. It's an extremely short list, and the number of people who cross the threshold of national credibility who are on that list. Very good point. Very small. Yeah. But what do you do about the quote unquote identity politics about this? So I put this point to the senator. He kind of after much dodging and ducking, he he did say, "I'm not ruling anything out at this stage." Unlike some other candidates who said. Other male candidates who said, I would like, you know, right. ideally it would be a woman on the ticket with me. Because can you really in 2020 still, after Hillary Clinton, you know, cracking that glass ceiling, winning the popular vote, can you really have no women anywhere on the ticket? I just find that bizarre. People say I'm being uh, naive or whatever it is, and that, that's just the way politics, but I just find it hard that the Democrats would go into 2020 with an all male ticket against Trump. It would be unlikely. Uh, not, not completely impossible, but I, but I think close to impossible. Uh, I think an all-white ticket 
is a lot more likely. Yes. Uh, Bernie Sanders is Jewish, not going to erase that, uh, that history he of his. It. He mentioned it in the interview, yes, um, and it's true. But so I could I could see a Sanders-Warren or a, uh, it'd be harder to see a Warren-Sanders because you want, you know, Warren is younger than Sanders and so can follow him yeah. uh, to have a 78-year-old vice president. I, I just don't think it's point? in it. I just don't right. think he would accept. I just don't think Bernie Sanders is interested in being vice president in the United States. Right. At, at, no. What's <laughs> the point as no. you know, finishing your 78 to 82 I think a Sanders first term and a Warren second term would make a lot of people happy, make a lot of people unhappy, but it might work. It would, um, make, it would make the right people unhappy. That's very true. And talking of the right people being unhappy, I did also make the point to him about Joe Biden. And I, he didn't bite with the Hillary Clinton analogy. I personally think, Joe, and I've written this piece as well, pundit that I am, that Biden is Hillary Clinton mark too, but he's Hillary Clinton with all of Clinton's cons and very few of her pros. He's worse yeah. than Clinton in many ways. Yeah. Yeah, Hillary Clinton was a much more talented politician than Joe Biden, and she's not terribly talented politician. Now, she weathered uh, decades and millions of dollars worth of opposition spending by Republicans to to paint her yeah. um, into into what she became. She also fed into it uh, in in ways that she didn't have to. Like nobody forced her to give Goldman Sachs speeches right before, yes. knowing uh, she was going knowing to she run. was going to run for president or appearing before fracking. Yeah. conferences. But yeah, so Joe Biden, uh, you know, has the talent that he has. And, and we saw it on display in 1988 when he ran. We saw it on display in 08 when he ran. And we're, see and we're seeing it again. He's he's never been a terrific politician. Just to be clear to people listening in who are not familiar with the 08-88 races, Ryan is using the word talent in the loosest of senses. <laughs> yes. Joe, yes. And, Joe Biden and, crashed and burned in both of yes, those races. Yes. And people who followed politics closely in 88 and 08 would be unlikely to be deeply familiar with the fact that he even ran yes. those years. I think he got less than 1% in Iowa uh, yeah. back in 2008 during right. the Obama-Clinton. And both of those years were set up for him. And you know he had his mental faculties humming at, at a higher level. And so He wasn't sunsetting back then, as you put it recently. You know, he was, he, his sun was still in the middle of the sky. <laughs> okay, one last question before I let you go. Uh, it's a question I didn't have time to ask the Senator. Nancy Pelosi, House Speaker, came out recently few days ago and said, what are the left thinking? What works in San Francisco doesn't work in Michigan. She poo-pooed the Green New Deal. She poo-pooed Medicare for all. Um, is it the reality that a President Sanders or even a President Warren won't just have to deal with the Republicans, won't just have to deal with the Joe Manchins in the Senate, the conservative Senate Democrats? They'll also have to deal with the right. quote-unquote liberal House Speaker from San Francisco who's made it clear she's not on board with this agenda. Yeah. And, and, and first of all, her point is probably factually incorrect. She, she was talking about a wealth tax. A wealth tax will play well in San Francisco, but it's not in Michigan. It's hugely popular, even with Republican you know, it, voters. It's, it's got to be way more popular in Michigan than in San Francisco, where all the billionaires yes. actually live yes. and, would, and would get taxed. Also, last, time, last time I checked, Bernie Sanders won Michigan during the Democratic primaries. Yeah. And so Bernie Sanders has a plan for this. He calls it his political revolution. You know, he's, he's going to win, and then he's going to keep his movement going, and he's going to pressure people back where I they're from to I move. I get that, and I the hope problem, he does that to Joe Manchin. Yeah. Does it work? work with Nancy Pelosi? Well, Nancy Pelosi, you basically have to elect a new speaker. Like you would have you would have to organize support for a challenge to, Na oh. to Nancy Pelosi. Uh, un unless you uh, can get some type of commitments from her that she's not going to be the Nancy Pelosi that she's been, you know, the last, you know, four to six years or so obsessed with with deficit reduction and 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 nervous that uh, whatever she does is, you know, anything she does liberal is going to uh, alienate these swing voters and these uh, 
in these districts that she needs. Now, his his argument would be, and there's some some kernel truth to it, that if Bernie Sanders comes from behind in a Democratic nomination and then wins the White House, that 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 changes the political calculations that even people like Nancy Pelosi makes. But at the same time, Sanders has got to get off the sidelines on, in some of these primaries. You know, there are more than a hundred. Uh, members of Congress being challenged right now. And Sanders has endorsed, I think, one of them. Just uh, on Tuesday night, we had uh, a couple of insurgent candidates uh, running in Philadelphia. Elizabeth Warren backed one of two rather than backing them both. Uh, Bernie Sanders backed zero. Uh, and one of, one of the two won. You know, they, neither Sanders nor Warren are really getting in a vigorous way into the primary debates. And that's how you're going to kind of reshape the Congress that he's going to be dealing with. He's trying to win first. Yeah. And then he's going to deal you need to with, with Congress. For that. And maybe the, all he can bite off right now is the White House. So that's that's a significant <laughs> task yeah. to try to win the White House. He's not planning for the, the post bit, which is fair he's enough. He's not doing it now. Although right. I think he should also, and all Democrats should plan for what happens the day after the election when Donald Trump says he won't go. But maybe that's just my thing. Maybe I'm being paranoid, as Bernie put it. I don't think I am, but it's a conversation for another day. Ryan, we'll have to leave it there. Thanks so much for coming on the show again. Thank you for having me. And a quick announcement before I let you all go. Deconstructed will be coming to Toronto, Canada this Friday evening. We're recording a special live show with the Canadian Immigration Minister Ahmed Hussein and the leader of the opposition NDP party, uh, Jagmeet Singh. So please, if you're in Toronto, you want to come watch a live recording, you want to ask questions from the audience, please do come along on Friday evening uh, to the Hot Docs Festival in Toronto. Tickets are available via our website. You can go to the program page, the episode page for this week's Deconstructed to get details on how to buy those tickets. And that's our show. Deconstructed is a production of First Look Media and The Intercept. Our producer is Zach Young. The show was mixed by Brian Pugh. Our theme music was composed by Bart Warshaw. Betsy Reed is The Intercept's editor-in-chief. And I'm Mehdi Hassan. You can follow me on Twitter at Mehdi R. Hassan. If you haven't already, please do subscribe to the show so you can hear it every week. Go to theintercept.com forward slash deconstructed to subscribe from your podcast platform of choice, iPhone, Android, whatever. If you're subscribed already, please do leave us a rating or review. It helps new people find the show. And if you want to give us feedback, email us at podcasts at theintercept.com. Thanks so much. See you next week. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. 
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.